Hello and welcome to the Midtown Fellowship Sermon Podcast. It's great to have you with us. You're joining us in the middle of our Be Curious Sermon Series, where together as a community, we're exploring scripture with a curious heart to learn more about Jesus, to learn more about his word for us, and even to learn more about ourselves. It's a beautiful thing when we come together as a community and realize that our questions don't keep us away from God. It actually draws us closer to him. Hey, if you'd like to learn more about who we are, you can go to our website, midtownfellowship.org. And if you'd like to join us, we'd love to see you on Sunday morning. So when I, uh, when I woke up this morning, I was interrupted from a dream. And that dream was about a Toy Story. Are you guys familiar with Toy Story? Okay, well... I have two kids, and they are three and one, and all that they are into right now is Toy Story. They go to bed talking about Toy Story, they wake up talking about Toy Story, and specifically Toy Story 3, which my daughter calls the daycare one. Uh, and I uh, have been watching a lot of Toy Story myself, so I uh, rewatched it again for the first time of, of a few months ago. And the first time that I rewatched Toy Story 3, I was a little bit confused about the ending. I don't know if you remember the plot line of Toy Story 3, but uh, there are these toys. Uh, one of them, his name is Woody. He's a cowboy, and he's owned by this kid, Andy, who's going to college. And Woody really wants to go to college with Andy. The other toys, not so sure. Long story short, at the end of the movie, I guess this is a spoiler alert, but the movie's super old, so it's on you if you don't know it by now. <laughs> Woody ends up going, uh, he, Andy gives Woody to this little girl, Bonnie, with all of his other toys, which... I was so shocked by when I was rewatching the movie. I thought, this is not what I expected because this whole time Woody has wanted to be with Andy. Okay. So then I watched the movie a second time and I continued to be confused by the ending. But it, I was more upset about how confused I was by the ending the second time. Then the third time that I watched it, I was legitimately angry by how much I did not understand the ending of the movie. Like, after the kids were in bed, my wife and I were talking about how angry we were that the ending did not make sense. I'm like, it's probably the writers. You know, like, Pixar's been around for a while. We're on the third installment of the series, so they've kind of just, like, let it go, let it slide. It's not scripted super tight. I had this whole thing about how this was just poorly done. So then I was listening to Toy Story 3 in the car, which you can do uh, with my children, and finally there is a piece of the story that dropped for me. It's like, oh. I get it now. I get why, Aunt, why Woody wanted to be with his friends at the end of the movie. And then I rewatched it for the fourth time, and <laughs> I realized that all throughout this movie, the writers were giving me pieces of information that helped me understand how he got to that point. I had just never seen it before. Okay, so how, why is that relevant for today? Here's what I'm trying to say, okay? We're in a sermon series that's all about being curious, curious right? Uh, do do you ever feel angry when you read the Bible? Like, does reading the Bible ever make you angry? Okay, I, there's one person, thank you, I see your head nod, who's with me this morning. Does it, did anybody else ever feel angry when you read Scripture? Yes. Okay, yes. That is a normal thing that happens. And what can often happen when we, when we read something in Scripture that makes us angry is we push away from it or we shut down when we come to it. That our reaction is, well, that can't be true because it makes me angry. We've got to find some way around it, or I don't want to think about it. I don't want to talk about it. And, and what, uh, what I want to challenge you with this morning is what if, rather than your anger making you push away from Scripture, it made you lean in and be curious? That anger can be an invitation to curiosity. 
In the same way, I was angry about the ending of Toy Story. Now do you see how this we got there? And it made me curious, and then I got to the place where I was like, oh, I now understand this in a way I did not understand it before, and anger was the doorway into that for me. Because this, the story that we are reading out of Scripture this morning, uh, when, it, when I first read it, it made me angry. And when you read it, I think it might make you angry too. What we want is for that to be something that sparks curiosity in us, that it would spark in us a desire to learn more about what Jesus is doing. So here's what we're going to do, the practice that. I'm going to invite Caroline to come up. Caroline is reading for us. Yes, and as she's coming up, here's what I want you to do. After Caroline reads the passage, I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask, and I'm going to ask you to give me a response. What are you curious about from this passage? So as you're hearing it read, I want you to keep that question in mind because I'm going to ask you for a response. Are we good? Okay. Take it away, Caroline. Okay. We are reading Mark 7, 24 through 30. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank, we're thankful that you desire to reveal yourself to us. and We thank you that you've chosen to do it. Uh, through your word and through your son. And Lord, we are thankful that that revelation is more than we can understand uh, in one snapshot. Lord, that it's deep, that it's wide, and that it requires us to lean in and ask questions. Lord, we ask that you would meet us this morning, uh, that you would reveal yourself to us, that you would show us your, your kindness and your generosity in this passage. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So what questions do you have? Now, I'm sure you have a lot of questions, but let's just limit it to this passage, okay? What questions do you have from this passage? Why did Jesus call her a dog? Why did Jesus call her a dog? Yes. That's it. No more questions. No, no. What else? What is a, who, what is a Syrophoenician? Yes. Where is the there that Jesus is coming from? Yeah. Why was the daughter possessed by a demon? What does that mean? Why does it matter she's a Greek and from Syria? Yeah, why does it matter she's a Greek, that she's from Syria? Yeah, 
If she would not have said what she did, ooh, yeah, wow, I could hear the ooze in that one. If she had not had said what she did to Jesus in response to what he said, would he still have healed her daughter? Okay, give us one more. Why did God allow this in the first place? Yeah. There's so many questions as we come to this passage this morning, and some of those we'll answer, some of those we probably won't, uh, and that's okay. That what we're hoping in this sermon series, series is that reading about Jesus stirs up in us a desire to know Jesus more. And then what we see in this passage, we're going to focus on two things. We're going to talk about the desperation of the woman, and we're going to talk about the generosity of Jesus. So if you are a note-taking person, those are the two points. Okay? A desperate woman and a generous Jesus. So we see here at the beginning of this passage that Jesus, uh, it says, he arose from there, went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be him. So what has happened here is Jesus has just come off of this big kind of teaching junket in Judea, in this place where God's people dwell. He's been teaching, he's been healing, he's had these confrontations with the religious leaders, and Jesus is tired. Which, just as a side note, is always so encouraging to me, that if our Lord uh, fully God and fully man can be tired, then certainly it is okay for us to be tired too, right? If you're curious about that, we talked about it last week when we talked about the Sabbath, so go back and listen to that. But Jesus, he's tired. And so he withdraws from the area of Judea where all of God's people are, and he goes to this area, Tyre and Sidon, uh, where he expects to not, be, to not have to interact with people as much because there aren't these people there clamoring for him. He was going to to kind of have some distance, to, to take a breath. And then Mark tells us immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And I'll, to the question of what is going on with the demon, uh, we don't really know. There's a lot of we could talk a lot about the theories of that. I, I just want to say it is not like a horror movie style thing that we see happening here. But it isn't good. It's a bad thing. And this woman is desperate to have her little girl healed. I love in this passage, Mark, the, the person who wrote this gospel, he's pretty sparse with words. A lot of the other gospel writers tell their stories that Mark tells much longer. But Mark uses this, this word a little. This woman's little daughter, he's, he's drawing out of us the compassion that we feel for our small children. And the situation that her daughter was in, it was not good. And it says that she came and she entered the house where he was. This woman was not invited into the house. She knew where Jesus was and she, she followed him in there. And it says she was begging, is what the text says. The, the tense of that word is present progressive, which means that she kept on doing it. She didn't just make a polite request and then leave it. She kept on, if you have children, you know this, asking and asking and asking and asking. She was begging. And what, if, if you look at the kind of the parallel account of this in one of the other gospels, it tells us that this woman had actually been following Jesus. So Jesus was walking around and she was following him, begging and begging and begging. And then he walks into this house and she just comes right in with him and she keeps up with her begging. This woman is desperate that her little girl uh, is sick. 
is, is somehow being tormented by evil. And this woman does not, she doesn't have any way of, of, of helping her daughter. And yet she's heard that there's this man wandering around, this Jew, who performs miracles. And she knows if I, if there's any hope of my daughter being better, I have got to have this man do something about it. And it's made her desperate. And that desperation is a, it's a bold desperation. Because that's what happens, doesn't it? When, when we have a desire for something that is so deep and profound, but yet we're confronted with our own inability to bring that about, that what it stirs up in us is desperation. Like I think about, um, I don't know, have any of you ever watched the Formula One documentary on Netflix? A few people, okay. I would highly recommend it. It's very good. The most recent season has just come out. And there's, okay, so at East, I've talked about Formula One a fair amount, so people have the background. I'll just give you a minute on it. It's this race car circuit that happens all around the world. There are 10 teams, and each team has two drivers. So there are 20 people, 20 athletes uh, in this competition around the world. And it's like a phenomenon that we just don't know about here, but everyone else knows about it, apparently. Uh, it's super high stakes and a lot of money, and it's so interesting. And there's this one team, Williams, that uh, had this great like, start like decades ago. They were a really powerful team. And in the last several years, they have won nothing. They have scored zero points, which is bad if you don't know Formula One. Not good. So this venture capital team comes in, buys the team, and is turning it around. And they bring in this new team principal, this new guy running the team. And what he says is, the situation is desperate. We have nowhere to go, well, we can't go down. We have nowhere to go but up. And we will try, he's, he's in this interview, he's telling Netflix, we will try anything. We will try everything because we have got to score some points. We are desperate. And so there are all these race strategies that none of the other teams use about how many pit stops and the kind of tires. And this, this team principal is willing to push the limit to try all of these new strategies because he is desperate for his team to score a point. That's what desperation does, right? It, it, it draws boldness out of us. I think about uh, when people have been diagnosed with uh, a terminal illness. That so often what it draws out of us is boldness. Right? That, that people are willing to try any kind of treatment. What, what can we do? There's got to be something. And we will be bold in what we try, in what we risk, because this life is so important to us. That like this woman, our desperation drives us to boldness. So where in your life are you desperate? Where in your life are you desperate? Is it in your circumstances? Is it in your relationships? Is it with what is happening inside of you? Where are you desperate? And that question may be really hard for you to answer. 
may be difficult to answer because you don't want to see it, but it may be difficult to answer because you, you may have been spending a lot of your life trying to avoid actually that place of desperation. Because it's a place we all try to avoid, isn't it? Who enjoys feeling desperate? Because like we said, desperation comes when we've got this gap between this thing that we want and our ability to get that thing for ourselves. And that place is a place of desperation. It's also a place of pain, isn't it? And so we will leverage our, our very significant resources to avoid that place. And in a room like this, there's a lot of resources. You guys are incredibly accomplished, self-sufficient people. And so often, what we do with that is we use it to insulate ourselves from our desperation. That we rely on our self-sufficiency and our ability to manage our lives. And, and what that requires us to do, though, is shrink our lives down to something that's manageable for us. Friends, if you can manage your life, you're living too small. If you feel like you are always in control of what is around you, what that means is that you have deadened your heart and you have stopped desiring. Because God has written eternity into your heart. He has put inside of you a desire for wholeness and healing that is far more than you can achieve for yourself. And if you were out of touch with that, it means that you have shrunk your world and your life down so small. That in thinking that you're making yourself big, what you're doing is you're making God very small. You're making who you are and how God has created you so small. There's a self-sufficiency that we so often deploy to protect ourselves from desperation, and it ends up uh, harming us, shrinking our lives down. And one of the other ways that we hide from desperation is we become despairing. That if you take desperation and you subtract uh, hope, that what you get is despair. That there are things that Maybe things that you want that you've said, you know what, it's just never going to happen. God does not, he's, he's not present enough, he doesn't love me enough. Or it doesn't, it, God loves me, yeah, but it, it doesn't actually reach down and touch me. Yeah, he loves all the other people in this room, but if you knew what I have done, if you knew who I am, God can't love me. And what that despair does is, again, it makes God so small. To say to God's love, to say to God and his love for us, um, yeah, but not me. My sin is too great. My circumstances are too special for you to actually interact with, with me. That's another way of making God small. So where are you desperate? And what if the desperation that you and I, because I do it too, what if the desperation that we are fighting so hard to avoid is actually the doorway that God has placed in your life to call you into, into healing and to wholeness and to depth of relationship with himself? I say that, what if, as if it could be true? It is true. That's what we see in this passage, is that this woman's desperation becomes the doorway that she walks through to find healing not only for her daughter but for herself. 
Do you want to know what desperation sounds like? Uh, have you ever met anybody who's in recovery? I think of friends who I know who have gone through the 12-step process. And one of the things I so admire is the freedom with which they are willing to admit their desperation. The first step of the 12-step process is we admitted we were powerless, that our lives had become unmanageable. Welcome to the world, right? Welcome to a life that's been marked by and marred by sin. Friends, our lives have become unmanageable. So let's talk about Jesus. This desperate woman comes to Jesus. And this is, this is what happens in verse 27. It says, and he said to her. Okay, we're going to stop there. He said to her. Just, just that by itself is world exploding for this woman. Because Mark has given us all of the details that have explained to us why, given the religious culture of the day, this woman would never have been addressed by Jesus. She was a Gentile, which meant that in the, in the way that the religious people of the day understood their world, the religious teachers of the day understood their world, she was unclean. That there were other Jewish teachers who would not even have deigned to be in the presence of this woman. And yet Jesus is with her. Then it says she's a Syrophoenician woman. The Syrophoenician people were known as some of the greatest enemies of God's people, like historically. There's enmity between those two groups of people. So, so this woman, is a, she's got two strikes against her. She's, she's a Gentile, she's Syrophoenician, and then she's a woman. And the way that the religious leaders of the day thought about, uh, thought about women, it was, it was not good. They did not think highly of women. There were some rabbis who would not even speak uh, to women in public. And Jesus shatters all of that. Jesus said to her. He speaks to her. He acknowledges her. In her desperation, Jesus meets her and sees her. And then he says this, let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Right? And we read that and we recoil. Oh, Jesus, what are you saying here? This is so offensive. But look at this woman's response. But she answered him, yes, Lord. Does that catch you in your tracks a little bit? It should. Because apparently this woman is not offended by what Jesus has said to her, which should make us wonder, does this woman know something that we don't know, right? It makes us curious to lean in and ask, what's happening here? And one of the, one of the keys that was so helpful for me this week and kind of turning the passage for me, is this word for dogs. Uh, it has a diminutive attached to it. So if you think, like if you, if in Spanish, when you put ito on the end of something, right, that it's a term of endearment. And that's what Jesus does with the word dog here. He puts the ito on it. And what he's saying, he's, he's, it's, not a, it's not a dog, he's talking about puppies, so he's not talking about the, the, the mongrels that are outside, you know, fighting over scraps. He's talking about the puppies that you have in your house. And what he's telling this woman is, I have been given a mission, and that mission starts with God's people. 
And what's been true about God's mission is right, like way back in the Old Testament, right with Abraham, who we talked about with the baptism, is that God called this people to himself and he said, I'm going to bless this people and I want this people to be a blessing to the world. The intention was always that God's blessing would flow out, would be for the world. And God's people had lost sight of that. And Jesus is coming to restore it, but he comes to start with the people to whom the promise was originally given. That's what he's reminding this woman. Yes, Lord, she says. Yes, it's true. She's saying, I do not have any right to approach you. If I were to, she's saying, I, I'm not here to insist. I and mean, this is so hard for us as Americans, right, who are always insisting on our rights. This woman is not insisting on her rights. She's coming to Jesus. She's saying, yes, it's true. I don't deserve anything from you. Yes, Lord. You hear the desperation and the humility that that has brought up in her? There's no shame. She's shameless in the best sense of the word. That her shame is not impeding her, her desire, her desperation to come to Jesus. Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She says to Jesus, yes, Jesus, but what is true about your house is that the the abundance of your table is so great that even the puppies can feast on dinner. That the abundance of your love is so great that even the puppies under the table have enough before the meal has finished. That the puppies are, are, are feasting themselves. But that's what's true about the generosity of Jesus. Which means, this, guys, this woman is amazing. You know, Jesus tells parables to the disciples all the time, and they have no idea what's going on, right? He has to explain it to them. He says, oh, you know, the bread of life. And they're like, well, what is this bread you're talking about? And he's like, what are we, what are we talking about? It's a metaphor, people, you know? And this woman enters the metaphor. Jesus has given her a one-sentence parable, and she comes right into it, and she's in it with Jesus. And what she says is, uh, I may be a puppy, but I'm a puppy in your house. She knows it. I'm not an outside dog. I belong here. And she says, your generosity is so great. Your love is so abundant that I know it's coming for me, and I need mine now. And I'm not saying I need mine now because I'm insisting on my rights. I'm saying it because I know your character and I know you're good. That is what she is saying to Jesus. And Jesus' response is, what a statement. That he honors her in front of all the other people who are there. Jesus says, wow. That's another way of translating what comes next. that she got Jesus' mission far more than all the people he'd been talking to. That Jesus is coming for, she, he came for her heart. She was there to get healing for her daughter. And Jesus was after her and the healing of her daughter. Because he's drawing her to a place of desperation, not just for her daughter, but for herself, that she would confess, I know what's true about you and I now know what's true about me. That this woman left her encounter with Jesus, changed herself. That what she had experienced was the generous, abundant, always chasing, never giving up love of Jesus for herself. 
And friends, that is what you and I are most desperate for, isn't it? I'm just telling you, whether you know it or not, that's what you're most desperate for. That's what the scriptures would teach us, is that that's the desire of our heart, is to be loved in that abundant, generous, never giving up, never failing way, because that's a way that we cannot love each other. That our love is always failing, it's always finite, it's always temporary, and what Jesus has for us is so much more abundant than that. That is what we're desperate for, it's what we were created for. It's true about you. That our Jesus gives to us abundantly because he gives us himself. And friends, that is true uh, here in this life, and it's true for what happens after this life. Because what Jesus knows about our spiritual state is that in our sins, we are dead, is what Scripture says. That apart from him, that we're dead. That's desperate. That spiritually, apart from God, we are dead and we are desperate because of our sin. Desperate because of what sin has done to us and desperate because of what we have done to other people out of our sin. And that in that place, what Jesus came to do was not to give us a set of rules that we could follow to get back to God. That, that is not going to help our desperation at all. Rules don't help dead people. He didn't come to give us a set of rules, a set of principles to live by, to be good people, to polish ourselves up for Sunday morning. That's not what this is about. Jesus came to offer himself for people who are desperate. He came to offer himself for people who are desperate because of his abundant, generous love for them. And friends, if, if, if you're here and you're... And you're exploring this whole Jesus thing, the gospel thing, the church thing. Uh, don't let your self-sufficiency keep you from Jesus. It's so tempting to do that, to hear that and think, oh, that's, that's nice. I'll, but I'll go with the rules instead. No, the situation is desperate. Bring that desperation to Jesus because he longs to meet you there. And don't let your despair keep you from Jesus. That you would say to him, no, my sin is too great. What I've been through is too much. You can't handle it. Friends, that is not true. His love for you is strong and it's good. Bring that desperation to Jesus. And maybe this is not new for you. Maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a long time. You know what the message of this sermon is for you? Bring your desperation to Jesus. It's the same. And, and, and what, I, what I wish I could tell you is that uh, Jesus always takes our desperation away. But it's not true. Uh, that the journey of the Christian life of having our hearts reawakened means that we will actually live in this life with longing. That that's what it means to live in a world that's been broken by sin. That doesn't mean that something is wrong with us. It means that something is right with us because it means we're starting to come alive to how God has made us. That we have desires that are too great to be satisfied in this world. 
and that our ability to meet those desires ourselves, that we can't do it. So there's a gap there. And if that gap is pain, Jesus doesn't promise to take away that pain, but he does promise to meet us in it, to meet you in it. Romans 8.32 is one of my favorite verses. It says this. It says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. So God the Father gave his son, for, gave him up so that we could have spiritual life with him eternally, right? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? How will he not, along with him, graciously give us all things? we come to God desperate to feast on the crumbs of his love like a little puppy under the table. And that what is true about you is that you have been made a child, a child of the king. Not grudgingly, but because he delights in you, because he loves to sing his song of love over you. And if he would give his very son for you to make you a son or a daughter, what else is he going to withhold from you? Right where you are, God desires to meet you, to delight in you. But he's, he's desperate for it. Would you bring your desperation to him? Would you take the time even to acknowledge where that desperation is? Because I will tell you, as I have been thinking about this sermon this week, it has taken me time. And I will say, even in a week, I think there's a lot more for me to unpack of asking the Lord, Lord, where am I desperate for you? Those are the places that God delights to meet us. You know you can bring those things to him in prayer? Like one of the things I get, I get asked um, I don't know if I would say frequently, but fairly often. People will say, well, I don't know if I can pray for that. I don't know if it's what God wants for me. Who cares? Ask away. Jesus is not asking you to figure out whether or not you should be asking for something from him. He can figure it out. He can. Actually, what Scripture would tell us is that he is before the throne of the Father, interceding on your behalf even now. And Jesus is always praying what is good for you. So you can ask for whatever you want. Bring that desperation to him. It's like, have you ever had someone take you out to dinner before? Like pay for your dinner? Yes? Okay, great. We're all still awake here this morning, right? I know, we're getting toward the end. It's okay, we're almost done. We'll try again. Has, have you ever had someone take you out to dinner before? Okay. Now, when someone tells you that they're going to take you out to dinner, and they tell you that before, right? Sometimes they tell you that after, hey, I'll get it. Oh, great, thanks. When they tell you before, though, does that ever change the way that you order your food? <laughs> like, honestly, I would rather you just wait until I'm done because now I'm so self-conscious about what I'm ordering. You know, the waitress comes to the table, would you like an appetizer? And you're like, do we want appetizers? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, no, you get whatever you want. And you're like, yeah, but are you going to get it? <laughs> no, 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 but whatever you, yeah, okay. You're like, uh, okay, I guess I'll have the, the whipped feta. Uh, Hey, are, do you, what do you want for dessert? Are we, do, are we doing dessert? Or are we just going to go to Jenny's afterwards and I'll buy my own? Like, how are we? Right, because we're so self-conscious, we think, I, man, I don't want to, like, I don't want to impose on you with my requests. But what if the person who is taking you to dinner, what if you know that person is loaded? 
right? I mean, honestly, have you ever, have you ever run into someone like that? Where they take you and you're like, I can order whatever I want and you're, ne you're never going to notice. <laughs> that is a fun dinner because you order whatever you want because you know you're tr in that moment, okay, you're trusting on the ability and the character of the person that you're with. You're trusting that their love for you is abundant, right? And their resources towards you are abundant. How much more is that true of your heavenly father? You can never exhaust his love for you. Even the crumbs at the table are a feast. Even the puppies in God's house are, are it's like Thanksgiving dinner every meal, right? You can never exhaust it. And he has the ability to do it. He is so, he's so good to us. So it frees us then to acknowledge our desperation. If you don't know what desperation feels like, uh, it might feel like anger when you start to acknowledge it. Like, where are you really angry? That's a clue for where you're desperate. Where are you really sad? Where is there hurt and pain in your life that you have been avoiding for a long time? And the dare of this passage is that you would be willing to go with Jesus into those places, to look them in the face, to acknowledge them, and trust that in those places he delights and desires to meet you with his abundant, generous love, like he met this woman. Let's pray. Father, our situations are, uh, are so much more desperate than we want to admit to ourselves. Lord, our spiritual state, apart from you, is so desperate. Lord, thank you for coming for us. Thank you for calling us to yourself. And Jesus, we confess so often uh, we, we despise d desperation, and so we shrink down our lives to this thing that we can manage. And Lord, in our, in our sanity, we confess to you right now uh, our lives have become unmanageable. And Lord, uh, we turn ourselves over to you. Lord, would you, would you feed us uh, at your table? Not, not even as puppies, Lord, but as your beloved children. As we, as we worship you, Lord, as we sing about who you are, who you've made us to be, Lord, would you give us the courage to look our desperation in the face and to bring it to you, to experience your delight in us in those places. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.